welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara. And we will be the prancing ponies that will guide you on this Me. journey. Clip clop. Clip clop. Is there a horse in here? Is there a horse in this room? Mm. Horse, uh, horse girl at your service. No, no. Podcast canceled. <laughs> What are we going to do when we get to Eowyn, the OG horse girl? She really is a horse girl. Yeah. yeah she like can't her... help it. I mean, it's in her culture. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's true. Do you think like horse girls say that about themselves? It's in my culture. It. It's in my culture. I mean, they can't, right? Like, who's mm. who's got horse girl in their blood? I mean, maybe people who grow up on like horse farms, but. Yeah, but like, who are those people? I don't know. I'd love to meet them. If you're out there and haven't turned off the podcast that you're being insulted by us, uh, please email us and tell us how you became a horse girl. We'd love to know. Yeah. (laughs) Is it a lonesome dove kind of situation? That's right. Uh, Does your daddy own Churchill Downs? Like, how does that work for you? (laughs) We need to know. Factory. Oh, do you have a family glue factory? Maybe that's not a horse farm. (laughs) Oh, it's a farm with horses. Clara, it's just. The product's different. Is a factory a farm? Oh, there's plenty of meatpacking <laughs> farms that would uh, agree with you. Anyway, anyway this we're is really not. Uh, we're not talking, talking about, about Upton well, Sinclair yeah. this week. Um, instead of talking about the jungle, we are talking about the village of Bree and the prancing. Another pony. jungle. A jungle of man. And Hobbit. And Hobbit, yeah. And mysteries for our, our little hobbits to solve. Anyway, it's mysteries? a Friday night. We I guess they're mysteries. We have not recorded on a Friday night in a really long time. It's also Good Friday. It's also Good Friday. Um, and we are having a Good Friday, despite mm-hmm. the solemnity of this day for right. many Christian I I just, worshipers. I just want everyone at home to know that we are risking hellfire to bring you this episode that's right we are smiling and laughing on good friday which Mm -hmm. um as young children aaron and i both growing up in catholic households (laughs) were not allowed to do (laughs) it's true we are it was you're supposed to be melancholy throughout the day that's right contemplating christ on the cross Mm-hmm. instead of using it as a mild profanity which we both do now (laughs) i don't think i'm not saying these things are related not at all. But uh, they might be. We've yet to be psychoanalyzed. Anyway, we're here with our Hobbit friends entering the village of Bree. Today we'll be discussing the chapters at the sign of the Prancing Pony mm-hmm. and Strider. And what happens in these chapters, you ask, or you don't ask, I'm going to tell you. Basically, I mean, not that much happens, really. The hobbits arrive in the village of Bree. They go to the end of the Prancing Pony. Frodo causes a scene when mm. the ring slips on his finger. He meets Strider slash Aragorn. They kind of discover who he is. They find out the Black Riders have found them there. The end. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. As far as plot points goes, there's like not that much happening. 
But we do meet, obviously, some important people to the plot of these three books. So it's worth discussing these chapters. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you didn't uh, you didn't undersell it at all. <laughs> I don't think. Thank so you. You're still listening. Thanks. We have we I mean, we have interesting things to discuss, I think. <laughs> We do. we do there's just not a lot of action <laughs> I know. So, nothing happens in this chapter now stay tuned while we talk about it just because i said nothing happens <laughs> doesn't know. mean i said that we don't have anything to talk about no actually this, we have quite a bit to talk about right and this is a podcast if nothing else we have things to talk about <laughs> otherwise like a threat it's dead air yeah. dead air with terry gross that's right Anywho, yeah. Aaron, where do we want to start? Now that I've question. given us this brilliant setup. That was very good. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Should we start with the Prancing Pony? Why not? It is our important location. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now you can talk about Bree too, by extension, because they're kind of one and the same. So Bree is a very old village. It is kind of nestled into the side of a hill. Mm-hmm. Um... It's sort of at a crossroads. Tolkien never says it's at a crossroads, but he does reference, obviously, there's an east-west road running through town, and then there's a north-south road also running through town called the Greenway. Um, Kind of, I don't know, tellingly, the north portion of that road is no longer used, so people don't travel north anymore. We can maybe talk a little bit about that when we get to Strider slash Aragorn and... um, sort of the north of this portion of middle earth and who's up there <laughs> um the santa claus but anyway brie is a presumably old but the inhabitants are apparently older and i don't mean everyone's in their 60s there is this little portion at the very beginning of this chapter it's in paragraph 2 The men of Bria are described as brown-haired, broad, and rather short, cheerful, and independent. Sound a lot like hobbits. Mm -hmm. Um, Then Tolkien goes on to say, according to their own tales, they were the original inhabitants. uh, Oh, yep. According to their own tales, they were the original inhabitants and were the descendants of the first men that ever wandered into the west of the Middle World. Few had survived the turmoils of the elder days, but when the kings returned again over the great sea, they found the Bree men still there, and they are still there now, when the memory of the old kings had faded into the grass. So, we have a glimpse of the Silmarillion here, right? Aaron's nodding. hmm <laughs> We do. Sorry. Right? So these would be, like, the descendants of the... Kind of wild uh, men who are and women, right, who are living around in in Middle Earth in the Silmarillion. This is Uh, Bjorn's people, is it, or whatever whatever his name was? Um, Tolkien doesn't say specifically who, but weren't they like brown and brown haired and short? Yeah, so like, yes, right, like potentially. Who was the short ones? I thought it was blonde and short. I thought we had blonde and short and brown and tall. That seems wrong. Tolkien right? loves his tall blondes. Well, he loves his tall, dark-haired Aragorn, right? They're all like yeah. have dark hair and unquestionably tall, like seventeen feet yeah. tall or some shit like that. Um, 
But no, so, but this, yes, to your point, we don't know the exact, like, lineage or genealogy of the people in Brie, but we, this would presumably be, like, yes, mm-hmm. Bayorns or whoever's, like, Hurons, cousins, kids, or whomever, right, was in Middle Earth at that time. So we are given a little glimpse of like, these are like the survivors of Middle Earth. And I'm wondering here, I don't know what your thoughts are. I just, I think it's really interesting that Tolkien is like, here's these kind of grubby people, you know, they're like not fancy. No. But these are also, I wonder if Tolkien is like, this is, if Middle Earth, right, is some sort of like older version of the Earth that we're occupying right it's not a different place it's supposed to be here Mm -hmm. like are these our ancestors in quotes right like are these these are the people who endured and like will can will continue to endure what she says right they'll they're they'll be there when the memory of the old kings uh or they are still there now and the memory of the old kings have faded into the grass. So like, will they continue to be there for generations to come? Just sort of like unaffected by time in their little, you know, community, eating their carrots, living amongst the hobbits. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting detail on Tolkien's part that he included because because this isn't I mean Bree doesn't stick or they're not there for very long these people aren't that important so like why is it important for Tolkien to like but that's the point right that they aren't very important like our first introduction to the world of men is a bunch of like bar flies stable hands yeah but and guards right they're unimportant but doesn't it make them important important yeah they are i'm saying i think so is this like again tolkien's kind of like winky little you know the little people are really more important than the movers and shakers i guess although we have a mover and shaker passing as an ordinary person in this chapter too yeah well he's special (laughs) so i mean i don't know maybe yeah I think he's definitely saying something about like the world, like this is our first introduction of the world of men is significant rather than, I don't know, trotting into Gondor. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think what you're saying about this idea of everyday people being more important than the kings to this world is true. And I think it's easy to lose sight of it in these stories, though, because these kind of moments are few and far between, ultimately. Mm hmm. Like, this is kind of an outlier. Yeah, I think I think Tolkien had a better grasp on it earlier on. Yeah. Right? It's like one of those things that gets lost mm-hmm. as the story progresses because we start dealing with, quote, bigger people. Mm-hmm. The pace more in, more important figures. Um, like this, this first book moves pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Whereas oh, yeah. Memory serves... Like two towers, it moves at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. If I remember right. Um, so there's more time in this one, and there's ways in which this these early chapters still feel like The Hobbit in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's just more kind of I don't want to say like lackadaisical, but it is. It's just like an easier kind of pacing. Mm -hmm. You're given time to sort of get into the world. Right. You're not. Yeah. You're not dealing with sort of kings. And right. I mean, even Gandalf's mostly absent. And when he isn't absent, he's presented as he's in The Hobbit, which is kind of like more more as like a kindly wise figure than as like a powerful wizard, which we'll see later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So there's this way in which everything's kind of scaled down. In the mm -hmm. beginning, like Tom Bombadil is the biggest personality we've come across by mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. um, and it is interesting to me, too, that his section is situated between the Shire and this, because these the Shire and this section seem related to me in terms of what they're saying about the world we're entering into. Mm -hmm. um, and the old forest seems more like a kind of fairy tale <laughs> interlude in between these more realistic depictions of. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, Middle Earth, Middle Earth society. And I think you said it in the notes, too, where you talk about the, the contrast between the Shire and this. It's more worldly, but I think they are kind of still functioning the same way, which is a show. Mm -hmm. You know, on the one hand, here's what the ordinary life of the hobbits is like. And here's, I guess, what the ordinary life of men is like. Right. Um, like, it's not glamorous. It's not no. right. You know, it's... <laughs> I don't know. These these sort of asides by Tolkien are strange because they do. They don't stop. I mean, he always kind of is going to insert. Mm -hmm. I guess historical, for lack of a better word, context for certain. Portions of. You know, certain or certain places in the book, right? Mm -hmm. We're always going to be getting this, but for whatever reason, this feels more important than a lot of the history of like Helm's Deep or uh, Amon Sul. That just, this to me seems more significant that we understand what life is like for the average person mm -hmm. in Middle Earth than we understand, you know, what Helm Hammerhand, other than having the fucking coolest name in this entire series, was doing at Helm's Deep, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think that kind of gets lost and it makes me a little sad that, you know, I like that Tolkien finds it important to tell us what normal people mm -hmm. in Middle Earth were doing mm -hmm. before kind of fantasy world erupts. Because yeah. right, other than Tom Bombadil and the Barrow, the Barrow Whites, we haven't really met with much fantasy yet. You know, mm -hmm. we've had some elves, but no one's doing fantastic things. Like this feels very right. commonplace. I do think it is. I do think I really like that we get this glimpse of the ordinary world of men here, mm -hmm. and, and like you, I kind of wish there were more of it like i kind of wish we had something like this when we go to rohan yeah um i don't know how it would work but but right in that it, when we get to rohan they just go straight to the the king's hall right there's right no there's no real um focus on what life is like there outside right. of those places we uh, get right we get like details about medusel itself but not mm, so much about where it's situated and you know yeah yeah, where those people came from, right? Like, here we have, it's always kind of a question of, like, okay, we know that, like, okay, we had our first um, 
king of Rohan. I can't, I'm struggling to remember his name right now. Um, Right. But we get sort of like the lineage of the kings of Rohan. We know they come sort of vaguely again from the North. We don't know a whole lot about that people and where they come from. And like here, other than the Dunedain and the slash Numenorians, right? This is one of the only places we get like solid concrete answers about like these people are direct descendants from the men and women living mm-hmm. in this world in Tolkien's mind centuries ago right. when the events of the Silmarillion were happening. This is the like only other group of people who we have any sort of idea where they come from other than sort of like vague glimpses and suggestions. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Why, like why this group? Is it just because he hadn't quite gotten into his groove yet? And this is how he thought he was going to be writing these books <laughs> or is he doing something maybe a little more? I don't know. Cunning's not the right word, but liter- <laughs> like maybe something a little more yeah. like literary uh, by acknowledging the origins of these very ordinary people. I'm not sure. My first inkling is to say that he's still kind of writing in the mode of The Hobbit. That this is The Hobbit sequel. <laughs> um, and that he hasn't. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Aragorn's presence. So the sense of that sort of grandeur is there mm-hmm. that we're going to see later. But I think it's probably just that the people in question are. It's an issue of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Like Bree is just this little kind of podunk. But, yeah. Town. And I don't know. He he doesn't have to present it in the same way as Rohan, where you have to have the, you know, the lineage. Right. Um. Here you could just talk about the men of Bree. Go to the, the pub. That's right. The good old um, pub. Get soused. Should we talk about the pub? I think so, because I think it's related to this question of like the ordinary people <laughs> and maybe why they're significant or why they're interesting. Take it away, Aaron. Oh boy, okay. So the prancing pony, uh, it's interesting to me in in terms of this book series, because I don't know. It's been a long time since I read this, but I don't remember <laughs> us going anywhere else quite like this. Okay. We don't. I didn't think so. Um, so we get this very straightforward kind of tavern scene, mm-hmm. uh, which has a long sort of tradition. Literarily, mm-hmm. Chaucer, Shakespeare. Um, I was thinking of the. There's a line from uh, London Fields by Martin Amos. Oh, I'm sorry, he says, uh, if you know, to know a London pub is to know London. Mm-hmm. This idea that, right, like you can know a place by seeing what <laughs> what the people are doing in the pub. Um, and I think that's what Tolkien's doing here, as you were saying with the sort of history of Brie. Um, you know, the, one of the key lines in that introduction of them is that they were, they belong to no one. Isn't that the mm-hmm. phrase? Yep. Um, so we kind of have this sense of them as, being outside of um, any kind of social structure. And then when you go into the tavern, you sort of see that happening. I mean, it feels a bit like Henry the fourth, you know, with Falstaff is sort of the fool. And there's this like way in which the tavern exists outside of normal rules of mm-hmm. 
society like you know the king can be the fool the fool can be the king kind of thing right um we get a little bit of that here i think um and obviously striders in disguise here so it becomes this place where i don't know things get flipped around mixed around um it's a place like where they have fun Mm -hmm. they dance they sing they tell stories but it's also a place where there's always this threat Mm -hmm. like danger is always there too so it's, it's this place where all these like contrary things are coming together right um and that is really interesting. I mean, I think it it does something here to set up the world of men for us. Okay. As you were saying with like, mm-hmm. why are these ordinary men important? Um, and I think this introduces us to, I don't know, the muddiness of men as like a group in this, in this um, series. Like if the elves are kind of this, fading race and the men are ascendant like what does it say that this is the mm-hmm. sort of the first men we see mm-hmm. really like we have any real sense of you know contact with so yeah i guess for me it, it, like what is the sort of moral universe we're being introduced to in the tavern and like what does it say about men and like how does strider fit into all this because he's such a like i don't know how to describe it but like his whole fretting about being king seems to feed into this vision of men, men that we're introduced to, right? Like his fears about ascending the throne seem to me to be related to what we're seeing in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like his anxieties about falling to temptation or whatever mm-hmm. um, seem to be mirrored in this bar sequence. Right. Men are weak, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're corruptible, and like mm-hmm. sometimes they don't even know they're being corrupted. Mm-hmm. The Shire is very different, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Shire feels very ordered, right? Even though mm-hmm. there's no, like we know from those early chapters, there's no sort of like, there's no established systems of power within the Shire. You know, there's a mayor, but mm-hmm. he's kind of just a figurehead. But the Shire has very clear cut class. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like very clear class distinctions within the Shire. You know, Frodo is the gentry and Sam is his, you know, servant class. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't definitely don't feel that in Bree. Right. Everyone just sort of seems like grubby and <laughs> either cheerful or kind of slimy. Menacing. Like, yeah, menacing is maybe a better word. Right. You get like the cheerful hobbits and mm-hmm. some like cheerful humans, right? And then you have like the Michael or the um, what's his name, Michael Farney, right? Who's like yeah. bad. There's like him, and then there's like a there's few others, guy with him, right? Yeah. yeah, but like they're like me. Yeah, menacing is a good word for it. But there's nobody who seems right. You don't have anyone strolling in and like gold pants or anything <laughs> there's no gold. i don't know <laughs> is that the sign, sign of wealth, wealth? Free. <laughs> my solid gold <laughs> pants oh my can God. you imagine walking in those things <laughs> you'd have legs of steel baby <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah right. like there's there's no sort of like order it feels no. right. Brie feels very orderless. 
Um, mm-hmm. So maybe we start there just in terms of kind of the world of men that we're entering. It seems a little orderless. It does seem a little menacing, um, lawless, perhaps, mm-hmm. right? The hobbits aren't dancing on the tables. <laughs> They're you know, singing, they're having their pints, but it's also a place where there's clearly a lack of trust, right? As soon as, and I think this, you know, I have in my notes, my questions about insiders and outsiders. Mm -hmm. Um, And I certainly think this feeds feeds into that, right? You know, the hobbits are outsiders, they're automatically not trusted, but there's also a sense that the men in this town don't trust each other you know barlam yes. and butterbeer butterbur i was saying butterbeer like, <laughs> butter. like um that. you know butter butterbur is like don't trust strider yeah. don't trust michael farney don't trust these you know mm-hmm. and i think that is really the essence of the world that we're entering right it's orderless it's a little lawless it's one where there's no camaraderie between groups of mm-hmm. people anymore, right? There's a lot of divide. And so I think placing Strider in the middle of that, like you said, it's like here is the king who is supposed to unite everyone right. kind of under his banner, a thing I've never really understood. Why does the king of Gondor get to be in charge of everybody? We can talk about that later, but <laughs> later yeah. date, say, yeah, um, right? But, you know, he, so he is... He mm-hmm. is in this world. I, it, it's like a microcosm, I think, is mm-hmm. maybe the word that we're, we're struggling to find. Where the Prancing Pony really serves as a microcosm for mm-hmm. the general sort of unrest in Middle Earth, even without Sauron. Right. I mean, and some of it is Sauron's doing, right? He is, like, right, his Black Riders have been kind of bribing and scheming with Uh some of the men in town and they're causing discord and saruman is as well right because we know there's travelers from the south um and so strider aragorn we'll just call him strider for now at some point we'll switch to aragorn when the book does right call him longshanks longshanks (laughs) so good um I wish someone called me Longshanks, but unfortunately I have <laughs> stumps for legs, so it's never going to happen. Um, right, like he is he is supposed to be the ultimate mm-hmm. like govern governor yes. of yeah. this really kind of discombobulated, disorganized group yep. of people. Um, and not that he comes into the prancing pony and then is like, I'm here to <laughs> create order, but we sort of see him within the a smaller version of the world that he is meant mm. to operate. And I think also, as you said, right, it also shows kind of how men can fail. Right. This is very much the human nature side of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. human is it's very sensual. i mean there's obviously there's, there's no sex it's a tolkien right but it's it, but it is very sensual right they're in a tavern yeah. they're drinking they're getting into trouble um you know it's a this is about as close to sensual pleasure as tolkien is going to allow us to come mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and obviously you know aragorn's job i refer to him as aragorn now because as aragorn it's his job to kind of rise above that and be a better version yes. of 
a man. Right. He's supposed to model that behavior. Right. He is essentially for them. And there's a leadership. Right. Right. That's what we're seeing um, is that there's no king figure to unite these people. And there's all these kind of disparate people who are, as we'll learn, like kind of grabbing at the the ring. Right. (laughs) Not to make too obvious of a pun, but. Uh, but they're all grasping for power, right? And and we're seeing that, as you said, like on a small scale here, the effect of that is that they're kind of listless. They just mm-hmm. pursue immediate pleasure. Um, and yes, in some ways, right, like Strider is, is sort of, ab- by abdicating his role, he's partially responsible mm-hmm. for what's happening in front of him. Right. But then it's also weird because like he's not able to fulfill his role yet. So Right. Right. He's so he's kinda of let off the hook. Right. He's sort of culpable, too, but he's yeah. also right. right, like right. for whatever kind of vague reasons, not able to assume the mantle of kingship yet. But if I can if I think this is an interesting conversation, especially too, if we flash forward to the return of the king, the very end when they're traveling back to the Shire. And I believe when they pass through Bree, um, I don't know if it's like Gandalf or one of the hobbits or someone basically is like, there's a king now and he'll be turning his thoughts like this way. Um, You know, Bree was a very important place for him. And Barlman's like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, King isn't going to notice us. Uh, right. But at the same time, right, he yeah. will be. And so we'll have kind of order in order in Brie mm-hmm. again. Um, oh, man. I, I kind of like I kind of like Brie the way it is. I do, too. But I it speaks to <laughs> things we've talked about in the past with Tolkien, right? Which is this sort of fear of right, disorder, modern mm-hmm. society, right? Like the society he sees as mm-hmm. you know, modern. Um and sort of the atomization that happens in mm-hmm. it, like without a leader, he's saying, right? Without a leader, it's just sort of chaos, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and that's a f- anxiety for him, I think. As you said, right? Like Bree seems like more fun, <laughs> frankly. I mean, until the Black Riders show up, then it's yeah. probably less fun. But, um, but yeah, I, I I had forgotten they go back to Bree. Mm-hmm. in return mm-hmm. that's really interesting that right like just the king thinking about you makes you <laughs> makes you a little bit better that's right um, and again we can revisit that we can yeah. when we get to the end we can consider kind of that as a bookend with this chapter and see sort of how they mm-hmm. play against each other but, but yeah i mean this change is coming for brie right. but this really sets up everything that we're going to see later on with like the mistrust in Rohan mm-hmm. and the sort of sowing of discord there. Mm-hmm. Denethor's own kind of ineffectual mm-hmm. role as steward. Like all of it is, yeah, as you said, like a microcosm here with this right scene where everybody's basically prepared to stab everybody else in the back. Right. Just kind of seeing how this world works. Mm-hmm. Right. I think Brie is the first image we get of that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's functioning the way a tavern does, like you mm. said, in most literature where everyone, everyone goes to the tavern. So you get to see a lot of different mm-hmm. people. Right. And like anything can happen there is the mm-hmm. other idea too, right? Good and bad. Right. 
Um, and we're also, as you mentioned, at the beginning at a crossroads mm-hmm. as well. Like this is a place where people meet mm-hmm. from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, is very different from the Shire, right? Where everyone's kind of settled right. for the most part in place. This is the beginning of your D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, every so you your first quest. Every single D&D campaign starts in a tavern. Yeah. Almost every single one. Uh, especially if you're home brewing. <laughs> they <laughs> all start a tavern. Where else are you going to meet a, a group of people? Right. Where else are you going to meet a, a bard, a druid, a ranger, and a fighter? I mean. It's at your local library. Right. Because that's right. No, that's where the wizard is. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. But right. In terms of like good and bad and like everything mm-hmm. in between, there's no sense of danger in the Prancing Pony. But I think it was, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you said that, that we mentioned there's sort of the sense of menacing mm-hmm. right um and it's unclear where that comes from for me anyway reading like strider seems menacing the mm-hmm. hobbits seem fine but then there's these men from the south and kind of this other group of men and they're menacing and so it is interesting too how tolkien is kind of playing with like our like the reader's perception of characters as menacing especially mm-hmm. the first time we actually see aragorn so i have this in the notes when they're <sighs> yeah full disclosure listeners <laughs> i've read these books like seven times does not make me an expert as i have said <laughs> uh and every single time i have read these books up until now at the beginning of this chapter when the hobbits enter Bree, mm-hmm. and tolkien gives us his description of a dark figure slipping over the village wall behind the hobbits i have always thought it was a black rider and i did not realize until this time that it's actually i think supposed to be it's, strider yeah, i because I, I thought that at first too and then he says something later that makes me yes believe. he like yeah, overheard like them talking on the yeah. road it's clarified right but our first image of Strider is very menacing. Yeah. So I think Tolkien also wants us to be like, do are we supposed he's playing with our sense of trust? Are we supposed mm-hmm. to trust this person? And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned sort of gray areas in like moral, right? Tolkien's kind of drawing us into this like moral stew of who. Yeah in this place where everyone seems to be neither good nor bad, mm-hmm. do we choose to trust? And so we can understand the hobbits difficulty trying to realize if they should trust Strider because they're in a place where they don't know anyone and everyone seems potentially a little tr- untrustworthy, but anyone could also be trustworthy. They just don't know. And neither mm-hmm. do we. Right. Well, we know, I guess a little bit more than they do, but not much. A little bit, but Unless, not, mu- but not, but much. not much. But we do first, know a little bit more than they do, right? I mean, if you were coming to this book and had ne- had no outside knowledge of anything in the Lord of the Rings, I think you'd be like, "Who is this Strider fellow?" Yeah, right. You'd we, be yeah, the we know the same as they do, right? Strider, you'd be correct. the you'd be the Sam. You would not trust Strider. No. Um, uh, and some people don't trust Barlamin. That's right. You brought this up. Yeah. So apparently there's this theory on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy to me. It is. I agree. Is, it, it's insane. It's bonkers, but I wanted to throw it out there. Now. I love it's it. Funny. Uh, that Barlam and Butterbur is actually a 
like an agent of Mordor mm-hmm. in this sequence and like why he forgets quote unquote to give the letters <laughs> because he's actually delaying them so that the black riders can have more time to catch them. And then they don't trust Strider when they arrive. Um, so there's this, I think it's, I, I don't think there's much textual evidence for it, frankly. Like, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Like, yeah, is Barlow and Butterbur like actually this, you know, Machiavellian master spy, um, but the reality is, I think he genuinely is forgetful. <laughs> um, but yeah, the whole premise of it essentially is really just that he delays them. That's the evidence, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I, I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't know about you. I don't I really don't buy it um, for a couple of reasons, but. I don't buy it. I don't really have any reasons other than like I don't think Tolkien's mind works that way. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, you know, especially because he does Tolkien does sort of like wink at this. He right? does. Yeah. At the right. end of the at the end of um at the sign of the prancing pony. Also, it's Bill Fernie, not Michael. Oh, Bill Fernie. Bill Fernie. Yeah. Oh, Michael Delving, Bill Fernie. Okay. Oh, okay. Mea culpa, Tolkien Nights, yeah, forgive me, forgive me, I'll don my hair shirt, etc. Okay. <laughs> at the end of At the Sign of the Prancing Pony, Frodo is thinking, and again, this kind of plays into our who do I trust? There's this sort of yeah. sense of menacing in the air. Um, he says he began to suspect even old Butterbur's fat face mm. of concealing dark designs. So Tolkien's kind of like winking at something like this and mm-hmm. i don't think he would say it if it were true <laughs> yeah right yeah and also we have gandalf a very reputable source who has told us multiple times that right. butterbur is very forgetful yes although i will say to play devil's advocate here you asked the question now I you're know, playing devil's advocate i know i know uh <laughs> Gandalf does trust Saruman and later admits that that's a mistake. Well, that so. is true. But Saruman is in a position of authority above Gandalf. And if we know anything about Tolkien, he loves uh, those positions of authority. So it makes Barlin sense. He's the authority in the Prancing Pony. But he is he's not. He's the king of the Prancing Pony. I'm the king of the Prancing Pony. I'm going to get you a shirt that says that. I would wear that. I would too, actually. <laughs> matching Two matching <laughs> I'm the king of the Prancing Pony shirts, please. Um, but I mean, the other thing is, like, Tolkien's very open with everyone else who's being a snake in this section. Right. <laughs> like, And like, okay, maybe he's an agent of... If he's an agent of Saruman, he's bad right then mm. why doesn't he just let the black riders in mm-hmm. to kill them why don't they just wait there they don't even yeah. have to go to the shire then if they know they're coming there just like hang out in the brain yeah i don't know who posited this theory online but like it's okay i'm not blaming i'm not mad at you i'm glad you brought this oh, up. i thought it was hilarious we can yell about it i'm yeah. sure my husband is downstairs right now like what are they screaming about <laughs> He would understand. He would. He, uh, he would really understand. He and he would support us one hundred percent in this <laughs> uh, argument that I don't think Butterbur is no. an agent of Sauron. No, not at all. No, I mean, yeah, it's, there's too many ways in which it's more convoluted than because it's like why couldn't they climb on the eagles and fly to Mordor? Like it's one of those things. Like it's 
Well, they didn't have the sky miles. That's, that's why. yeah, that's right. You got to pay, and they had so no much luggage. To sit in the Delta Sky Lounge. Come they on. had so much luggage. It's not going to fit in that it little a lot little box that they force you to put your suitcase in. Anyway, it's one of those things. I'm like, why are we yeah. even discussing this? Because it's funny. This one's at least funny. Yeah, this one's funny. But like, I'm I sorry, d- but Parliament like Tinker Tailor Soldiers. <laughs> it's very good. Right, because we're also kind of, it's like this guy's like not that bright. No, right. I mean, it is weird to me that Gandalf leaves the note with him. I will say that. But very weird. Um, but but I, we need I, a plot device. Well, we got yeah, one. But it, it, this feels like the Gandalf from The Hobbit. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, I know I what you like mean. Gandalf in a book would not do this. You know, a book later would not do this. Oh, absolutely not. So, you know, like. Oh, I'm, I know what you mean. I, and I, I don't know if there's something in that in terms of like. Gandalf grows. Well, maybe not grows, but. I, I don't know. We start out kind of from a place of innocence in this book mm-hmm. that very quickly comes apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if maybe Gandalf wasn't wholly immune to that either. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, like, like when he learns about Saruman, right? He's like, yeah, he's trusting. And then he learns about Saruman. Saruman mm-hmm. betrays him. And then he's like, oh, got to grow up. Yeah. There's this sense, right? Like that the world's kind of let its guard down. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even the people who've been watching have kind of let their guard down, right? Um, a little bit. And I wonder if maybe this is a because yeah, I don't think Barlin's not like evil, but he's definitely not the best person to no. trust with sending a very important letter. Right. There's like a lot of other. I would assume there. I mean, he knows yeah. Strider. I mean, it's clear that Strider yeah, has been right. tasked. Well, he's been, busy, guess, he's been right. tasked with doing other things, but I would assume he knows other rangers. Like, why yeah, can't right. they send a letter? Maybe it's on... a union thing. It might be. Parliament is part of the postal union. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the rangers aren't. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it it is. Yes. It, it is a weird. I... What can brown do for you? <laughs> I think you. Yeah, they all dress. They do all dress in brown, probably. Little shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Cute. And their long legs. <laughs> Long shanks. Mm. It's all coming together. This theory. It's all coming together for me. Um, So I think it's one of two things. We could either say, A, it's boring. Boring theory is it's a plot device, right? Butterbur has to forget to send the letter so that Frodo doesn't leave so that he can be hunted by the Black Riders. Correct. That's that's boring. Boring theory. Number one. More interesting theory. More interesting theory. Number two is that. Right, Gandalf is maybe a little innocent. I like the phrase the world has let its guard down because I do think that's kind of what's happened, right? Everyone's a little complacent. Sauron can't come back. He's like dead and gone. Yeah, and yeah. now, you know, oops. Yep. Oopsies. I mean, he it came feels back. Very, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it feels very much like the, you know, the long summer between the whole idea of the long summer between World War One and World War Two, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that people kind of did yeah repeatedly say nothing could happen nothing could happen and then yep boom it happened it happened same with and to take it out of the context of world like actual Mm -hmm. like the world history that tolkien was living in we see this mirrored several times in the silmarillion as well right Mm -hmm. the the, Mm -hmm. 
the post-coital nap in chapter three or whatever, right? They're all like having a party. They go to their marriage bed. They sleep. And while they are sleeping, um, you know, Mm. Malcor creeps into into the the world and destroys the lamps. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of a less mythical yeah right instance of that happening but and we don't obviously get the actual kind of it's not as like mic drop oh that's the event that happened it's a little more subtle there's some build-up um and now sauron is back baby but um yeah it is the same sort of feel of maybe we were a little bit more complacent than we should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and where better to realize that than in a tavern where everyone's getting blotto. <laughs> right. I mean, really, like, you know, it's supposed to be this crossroads where everybody meets each other, but nobody necessarily learns anything about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't make anybody any wiser. Right. Um. Like, is this just a place that Gandalf passed through? Right. That's why he left the letter there. But he I think does... you're right. The, the mundane explanation probably is the real one. I mean, it's boring, but it it's probably, yeah, correct. Yeah. But but even, even in the letter, right, if we examine the contents of mm-hmm. the letter, Gandalf doesn't have a huge sense of urgency. He even says, like, you better leave back again soon and get out of the shower before the shire before get out of the shower before the end of july well, they do like a bath get out of the shire before the end of the jo- end of july at latest mm-hmm. and this was at mid-year's day so that's middle of june right he's got a month and a half before he actually needs yeah. to leave so even then you know gandalf is not super urgent um yeah not but... as urgent as he could have been given the circumstances but then right. he's like, do not travel at night. Yeah. yeah. Exclamation point. Um, make sure that's the real Strider. Okay. We have, yeah, to, we have talk to talk about, about this. You brought up a really good point. Oh, my gosh. Letter. Dear listener, if you've read this book or if you're reading along, I hope you're troubled by. I hope you're troubled by this litmus test for how they tell who Strider is, because I always have been. Um, do you mind if we take a little break and then come back Not to this? Because Not I'm getting all. worked up just thinking about it. All right. We're back, everybody. We're back. We uh, got our letter from Gandalf. It brought us here. Uh, we distrust one another immediately. Yeah. Um, and the letter doesn't help. Nope. Most unhelpful letter ever written. It's truly. Yeah. Like, I just mean, because you're a wizard doesn't mean you can get away with being uh, intentionally vague. I mean, yeah. first of all, the letter was never delivered. So like at the base <laughs> level, most unhelpful letter ever mm. because no one ever even got this letter. Right. But beyond that, deeper. Let's go deeper into the text <laughs> of the letter, Aaron. As the okay. two English scholars that we yeah, are. <laughs> Get out your books. Uh, uh, right. Turn to page. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> turn to page 394. I mean, I do respect a man who includes a poem and a letter. Other than that. 
Uh, it's not a very helpful poem. Not a helpful poem. So in this letter that never is delivered, so great. Um, off to a really, mm-hmm. really banging start. start yeah. Um, Gandalf is like, you know, leave the Shire now. It's the middle of June. Get out while you can. I'll try to find you. If not, meet up with my friend Strider. He's going to take you the rest of the way. Now, me, with my social anxiety, I would be like, I'm never leaving. They can come find with the ring. I'm not going to meet a stranger. <laughs> Clara learned stranger danger. That's Very right. Um, Gandalf gives him a PS. Do not use the ring. <laughs> Do not, all caps, use mm. it again. Not for any reason, whatever. Do not travel by night. He's okay. Okay. Very specific. Then there's a PPS. You know that a letter has gone off the rails when there's a PPS. Okay. If you can't get everything in in a letter and postscript, you've got a problem, homie. Mm -hmm. You need to Mm reevaluate the letter from the very beginning. But here we are. (laughs) In this PPS, Gandalf writes, make sure that it is the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. And then we get, ah, we get it. The poem, the most quoted line from the Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. trilogy in every single trite and pithy context. Mm -hmm. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. That's it. (laughs) Make sure it's Strider. His name is Aragorn. Here's a poem. (laughs) No instructions on what to do with this information. Does Gandalf... Okay, so this is my que- like this is my problem. How are they supposed to use this information to make sure that this man is Strider, or is Aragorn slash Strider? Because if they go up to him and he's like, "Oh yeah, my name's Strider," and they're like, "Great, are you Aragorn?" What's what's to say? What's to stop every Tom, Dick, and Harry in town from just being like, "Yeah, I'm Aragorn. Or Come Bill. into the woods with Bill me." Bill Fernie. Right, or Bill. <laughs> right. Michael Fernie. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, you're going to confuse me. It's Bill. It's I know it's Bill now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a, as far as instructional missives go. It's um, it's really so. bad because the yeah. only way that they know that it actually is Aragorn is he like mutters the poem yes. to himself, and Which Frodo is, is like, weird. "Oh, did you read the letter?" And he's like, "Oh no, but those are lines about me." <laughs> Which also, right? Also, that, that's a warning sign to me. That poem's about me. Mm. Oh my god, it's on his Pinterest, probably. <laughs> yeah, it says all not all who wander are lost. There's twenty five. Oh my god, twenty five throw pillows and like leather bound journals. <laughs> Shit, it is. Yeah, it's it's really weird, and I don't. There has to be a. I mean, narratively, there's got to be a better way to do this, right? Like there has to be a but. test. If you are trying to find out, is this if like a, a reference to something, if a, I don't think so. They're like Merlin, right? Vague notes. 
I don't know. With his little, with his little symbol scattered throughout. Maybe. Because Gandalf loves his little symbol. He does. Really he cool. loves his rune. It is everywhere. His G rune. I gotta be honest. You shouldn't trust anyone who's that into runes. <laughs> no. You know who is into runes? The Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't trust anyone who's that into runes. Yeah. So Gandalf's really the untrustworthy one here. N- number one untrustworthy Gandalf. Um, maybe he's an agent of Mordor. Maybe he is. Everyone's blaming poor Butterbur. It's actually Gandalf. It's actually Gandalf. He um, doesn't let them use the eagles to fly no. to Mordor. No. Um. Anyway, like this is. But it is. It's crazy. But it serves, I guess, a narrative purpose, right? Which is like make Aragorn king obviously oh but it makes me so mad this is not a way to find if they can trust him and because then it's like oh conveniently right he mutters (laughs) um i see laughed strider i look foul and feel fair is that it all that is gold does not glitter not all those who wander are lost uh did the verses apply to you then asked frodo i could not make out they were about but how did you know that they were in Gandalf's letter if you've never seen it? I did not know, he answered, but I am Aragorn, and those verses go with that name. He drew out his sword, and they saw that the blade was indeed broken a foot below the hilt. How convenient that Aragorn has memorized this poem about himself and has a broken sword. <laughs> I understand as I a know. reader that, yes, like, okay, right. but no, this is... But I- always bothered me always obviously i'm ranting about it Do you can't really? see listener how There's many gesticulations hand gestures i'm using right now uh no i mean i agree with you i don't know yeah, i don't know what else to say other than the fact that it is weird and i i guess it's mm, okay so it is a little bit like sort of how in dickens when like coincidence moves the narrative along you know what i mean like when like it's london and they just meet sure the right person in the right. right street at the right time narratively for it to like move action along yes. so like there is sort of a, a tradition for this i agree in this case it's probably <laughs> probably doesn't work as well as it could because it's already a coincidence right that they're meet that he happens to be following them in some ways right is um, there now my question for you and i did not put this in the notes so i'm sorry if i'm just springing it ah, on you ah. but i Oh, is there okay. a better way to do this? Oh, then. Then okay. what Tolkien yeah, is doing um, here. You can think about it. Yeah, little. I guess. Well, there has to be some other way to recognize him other than a poem. I mean, the sword kind of works. That one I buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like, sword I get. He probably is carrying it around. Sure. It's a physical thing, right? Right. Like, and, and Gandalf but could like, say, like, he has a broke. His sword will be broken. Right. But like, can't you give him a code word or something? Like, today's a fine day for pontooning. Right. Oh, it is. Like, I, whatever. Like, has Love this it. man not read an Ian Fleming book? That's right. <laughs> um, or or some, like, there should be some kind of exchange. Like, I don't know. Aragorn has a piece of a note or something. You know, like they have two halves of a note that they right. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they have crazy. Yeah, like, they have a friendship. They have a friendship. Honestly, necklace. it would be better than this. <laughs> right. Or like, even I mean, truly. Because we're kind of told, right, Aragorn looks very different than he has a different look than a lot of the people in Bree. 
Couldn't we just get a physical description of him? (sighs) He is uncannily tall. He has gray eyes. He's got long legs. (laughs) (laughs) There's this... This is th- see. This is where I think people get really frustrated with Tolkien, yeah. and like his st- stupid poems. Like yeah. some of them don't need to be in this book, and this is an instance where I'm like, you didn't right. necessarily right. need to include this little rhyme about uh, Aragorn. Right. And also, doesn't Aragorn have a certain very symbolic ring that he's wearing? Yeah, like there's a billion ways you could identify him. Other than, Other than hoping a poem he that quotes he like, this is gonna poem. like mutter to himself like a crazy person. <laughs> Those verses are about me. Yeah, like this man has been alone in the woods too long. And like, I guess if we think, right? If we think about what we talked about last time with the bear, with his kind of oh, this sure. vision on the Barrow Downs and how he is, you know, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And here we have, mm-hmm. right, this is the prophecy. Uh, of, you'll know me by my signs. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? This is the prophecy of Aragorn. This is this potentially sort of ancient verses written about the coming of this king. And so we have to insert this here because we need this prophetic kind of heralding of Aragorn, right? Here again, Gandalf is kind of being the John the Baptist figure Mm -hmm. to Aragorn's Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to beat that horse till it's glue to call back to the beginning (laughs) of the episode. Um, But like, I don't, I still don't like it. No. You know, the vision on the Barrow Downs is at least very cool. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I just think that this is clumsy. The poem is troubling. Not troubling. It, well, it's it feels just... like it feels like he wrote this poem, right? Right. And then and was then like, oh, I need to include it. it. Yeah, right. I got to use it. And this is the way he used it. Yeah, that's how I feel kind of about a lot of his poems, actually. That's true. <laughs> they're like, they're not that good. And we've discussed this, I think, a long time ago. Like, he was not a good poet. No. You've got a look on your face. You've well, got some, I would just like to point out you've that got some tea 13 to year old me was right to skip these. Yes. Yeah, especially the, I mean, I skipped the whole one in this chapter. If we're going to talk about poems. Oh, I or, read it, but I wish I hadn't. I skipped the whole poem uh, in The Sign of the Prancing Pony. It's a long one. Well, it's a long longer. one. And you know what? I can sum it up for you, folks. Hey, diddle diddle, the cat and the fiddle, the cow jumped over yeah, the moon. It's literally that. Tolkien, you're grounded. Yep. The little dog laughed to see such sport and the dish ran away with a spoon. Is that how that ends? Anyway, like, but, you know, Tolkien goes on for (laughs) several paragraphs um, with, of course, a note in the appendix about the day of the week Sunday and a special note about how elves and hobbits refer to the sun as she. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is our second Silmarillion callback in this chapter. So, but anyway, (laughs) I guess this this is a good, this is a good place to talk (laughs) about how, yeah, Tolkien as a poet, like his poetry was frankly wanting. Yeah, it's it's not great. (laughs) Um, I'll get a little feisty about it on a Friday night. (sighs) 
and even, you know, I didn't bring it up when we talked about Fog on the Barrow Downs, but we have two little poems, oh, right. several yeah, little poems. Poem there, yeah. And like, I noticed, I didn't really notice it till I was reading aloud, but the kind of incantation that the um, uh, Barrow White sings, chants. Okay, see if you can, you see if you can get this, see if you follow me on this. Oh, so it no. starts out, cold be hand and heart and bone and cold be sleep under stone never more to wake on stony like he has this great rhythm at yeah. the beginning and then it's like what never more to wake on stony bed never till the sun fails and the moon is dead like all of a sudden yeah. it like you kind of start to lose this chanting <laughs> right like his his meter he like doesn't quite understand like how to hit the meter quite right in that one and then forced rhymes there yeah and then he does okay with this longer version because it's like a very childish sort of sing-songy poem um and then same right you we get these we get very simple rhyme schemes this poem about aragorn Mm. right it's just a b a b c d c d basically yeah um just not to say that it's not good poetry but again no, it's but... it's it's simple it's simple rhyme schemes he's not doing anything out of this world with his poetry and i don't know i just this stupid poem about aragorn just makes me so annoyed i can tell thank you for validating validating yeah, I, I, me yeah i uh no i mean i think it's a yeah it's it feels very forced the whole interaction right um i don't know yeah strider is weird to be in these first sections on the whole anyway okay let's discuss because i do kind of agree <laughs> like I, and i can't <laughs> i wrote it sort of a joke in the margins but personality um <laughs> But maybe it isn't a joke. Wait, what did you write? <laughs> a split personality. <laughs> uh, but like he's play acting, right? Like that's I the sense said, I get. I thought you said butt personality. I was like, oh, oh well, <laughs> what's a butt no, personality? That's Roger the kangaroo is a butt personality. Um, <laughs> we just know he has jacked arms. We don't know about yeah. his butt. <laughs> oh, his butt's full. But like he ha- like he's play acting sometimes it being tough mr ranger right like that's the like he's like butterbur you fat whatever like he like goes off a of butterbur at one point like it's mm-hmm. it feels weird it just feels weird to me well it's weird too because like he's he is supposed to endear himself to these hobbits but he's right. also like a little menacing right we talked earlier about yeah. how it's we're sort of the right the tavern is a gray area where everyone is a little menacing but also a little friendly mm-hmm but like you'd think that Aragorn would maybe try a little harder to not. Well, I think he's mad, right? Frighten they, the hobbits. I think he's mad that like they were being, they're being goofy in the pub. Well, yes, he is mad about that. He's like mad dad. But right, yeah. like when he he kind of like threatens Sam. He does. Right. Um, 
And he says, and I should have killed you already without so much talk. And if I was after the ring, I could have it now. And he like draws a sword and yeah, like why did he draw a sword? Taller. And it's like, why are you doing this? Is this just like Tolkien showing him as being like powerful? Is that what this is? I, but it's weird because they're hobbits. Like, what are you doing? Right. And I, I also, so I think it's A, it's Tolkien showing, giving an excuse he has to show he's powerful, he's tall, he's kingly. He's not what he seems, I think, is sure. is, is part of it, right? Not all, yeah. that, all that is gold does not glitter, right? He's not what he mm-hmm. seems. But I don't quite get it seems over exaggerated to me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely played up at like it's like first year drama student. Right. Like we can understand that he's not what Show he seems tell, without him seeming a sort of like a dick. Right. When he's like yeah. mad about Frodo putting on the ring and be sort of like a frightening figure. When he just like movie creeps out of the better. dark of their room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I think the movie does it better. Mm hmm. Because like he's mad in the film, too. Mm-hmm. But he, I don't know. It's played differently. But he seems more protective. He, right. Yeah, exactly. It's less like he's. Yeah. Mad at them specifically. Just, right. Like, more like. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know this, but also because he seems mad, he seems menacing, he seems not quite what he seems to be. But then, right, he also is sort of like joking at times and like a little bit jovial. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are you? <laughs> and maybe that is the question we're supposed to be asking ourselves. Like, who is this guy? Maybe he doesn't know himself. I Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's why he can't be king yet, right? He's not come into his own but also like you're 89 years old dude and you've spent a lot of time alone (laughs) a lot of time alone uh it is strange yeah i I mean i don't have any like insightful comments beyond that but it's just it it feels weird and i'm curious to see where the characterization goes i think he just gets Um, more noble right which is again like i I'm wondering if this, I don't know, maybe I'm like galaxy braining this, but like is part of, is the reason he's behaving the way he is here because he spent so long denying his kingly mm. role that he's fallen into this kind of, like he fits in this tavern world of mm-hmm. like brutal, violent, untrusting, you know what I mean? Like is he... Is he just like the rest of them because he's been around this world so long? And like when he's put on this quest, he gradually becomes. He finds his groove again. (laughs) The Emperor's new groove. Uh, I want to agree with you. The only thing that gives me pause Mm. is as soon as we get to Rivendell, we see this different Aragorn. He beco- he kind of becomes Aragorn when he arrives in Rivendell and there doesn't seem to be like a reason for it. We don't I guess we don't see it right. We sort of see everything. I think what's hard about these early chapters is we're seeing so much the eyes of the hobbits really right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, even Aragorn here to us is maybe a little confusing, angry, menacing. What the heck is he? Because the mm-hmm. hobbits haven't figured it out yet. 
when he gets to Rivendell, um, I yeah. as as far as I remember, we'll find out when we get there. I don't want to peek too far ahead, but like Frodo doesn't even really recognize Aragorn because he's transformed into this like noble man. Oh, sure. But we don't see what that transformation kind of looks like, right? We know Frodo's sort of out of it for a few weeks after, you know, while he's recovering from being mm-hmm. stabbed. But hmm. that gives me, that kind of gives me pause, like, regarding your argument that, yeah. you know, he's kind of become part of this human world because he's well, been yeah. part of it for so long because he's so able to transition back into this sort of high society of right, right Rivendell and but I wonder yeah or but yeah. maybe I mean is but he just like a chameleon but does like yeah right does like being in Rivendell lead him to sort of remember his actual mm-hmm. status or whatever nobility yeah but again I do think to kind of go full circle maybe that's the two sides of man, right? It's like uh, he fits into this tavern world, mm. but he also has this potential for great nobility akin to the elves, right? But he has to he choose. He is. He has to choose one or the other. Right? <laughs> yeah, he is. He is both human and more than human. And I think here we're seeing the very human side of yeah, Strider. I buy that. But but I don't know that that explains his like weird personality quirks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, and again, I think maybe it feels very Hobbit. Right? Mm-hmm. He's a little lighter at times. Mm-hmm. But more brawly sketch too yeah yeah he's not he's not really like a specific like it's almost it's so interesting because you know tolkien thought about everything so much but it does feel almost like he didn't quite have the character of aragorn as strider as fleshed out as he needed to be before he started writing him into this book is almost Great. is almost the sense that I get. Uh, I don't know. I I enjoy this chapter. I think there's weird things about it. Mm-hmm. I think it is fun to see Bree. I think I wish there were more sections like this from that mm-hmm. aspect of it because I think, uh, yeah, I think it fleshes out the story more rather than mm-hmm. like here's this unending line of kings mm-hmm. about this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do. I think it's revealing that Tolkien only takes us to this kind of place once. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, this sort of fear of chaos mm-hmm. and what Aragorn represents. You know, the, the Prancing Pony is useful here, both as a plot device on the road to Rivendell, but also as like a thematic device mm-hmm. to suggest how far man has fallen mm-hmm. um, and how far Strider's fallen. Mm-hmm. I think too, right? Like, and in this feel, it feels very Henry the Fourth to me. I like, I you know, the whole idea of like not wanting to be king, mm-hmm. refusing that sort of um, power for various reasons, but mostly for a fear of failure, mm-hmm. um, and then of course ultimately kind of realizing your role eventually. 
the Prancy Pony, yeah, feels to me like it, it it works as a way to to signal what's important to Tolkien in this world, which is yeah, order and having sort of a leader as a model mm-hmm. in a very Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. kind of way. Like it's not just having someone in charge; it's having someone who presents how to live what it is yeah like what it is to be right the aristotelian ideal right mm-hmm. that it is, really is yeah that is mm-hmm. aragorn right and yep. here he is before he has kind of become right He's that. In that process mm-hmm. yeah and and the need for that is shown here um, right so it's i mean it's fundamentally a super conservative worldview mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where you sort of have this idea of like yeah you need a king because otherwise people just do whatever they want um, right we can't have the groundlings doing whatever they want heaven for friend um i also think interestingly these two chapters are also our kind of transition point our like mm-hmm. pivot into when the story becomes less hobbit-like yeah i would agree um right so and i think it kind of ties into all we've been talking about like Mm. all of a sudden it's like these two chapters tolkien realized like oh this is what this book is going to be Mm. and so in the following i mean rest right rest of the books all of a sudden there is like a pretty big shift in kind of tone and Mm -hmm. characterization and all of a sudden i think we realize we're in a much more serious book um yeah yeah the danger is more real it's mm -hmm. less fanciful Mm -hmm. um you know you don't have figures like tom bombadil appearing ever again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's much more real it's much yeah the tone is much loftier too. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like a kid's story to me still a bit. And yeah, I don't mean definitely in a dis- dismissive way. I just mean like, it feels like a children's story. Like, you yeah. know, um, I mean, when like I first, Hobbit. when I first read this book, when I was 11 years old. Yeah, it was great. I've, I followed <laughs> it really well up until right. this point. And yeah. then I kind of, I was reading it, but like, who knows how much of it I was actually getting, you know, mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's interesting too, you know, and it all kind of ties in to, it, it, it all ties in together, right? Like we have, this is physically the transition in the book, mm-hmm. like to a more kind of mature tone. Um, but like Tolkien, whether he realizes it or not, is choosing to make this transition in this village of brie that yeah. is very human and messy and he's introducing this character of strider who is you know for all his weirdness in these chapters human and messy and so again all of a sudden like the hobbits seeing this world through their eyes where everything's kind of okay and like fine and maybe a little scary in the shire <laughs> when they meet the barrow whites mm-hmm. well they're not in the shire but whatever mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they've they find themselves in this more mature yeah. world. And so do we, and then we're all sort of collectively transitioned into the rest of the book that is more, like you said, lofty, mature, mm-hmm. right? Like we are, it's interesting how much we are on this journey with the yeah. hobbits. Yeah. 
that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. I've And I've, um, you know, for as many times as I've read these books, I have never really realized that. Yeah. Like aspect of them is, is, is really how much kind of we are the hobbits in this as readers of mm-hmm. this book. Anyway, we're way off. We're way we off are, base. Yeah, we we're, we've wandered far from Bree, um, the crossroads of Middle Earth, um, and we can wander back. Yeah, let's wander. Let's wander back and close this thing up yeah, for let's the close those evening. Buttons up. Uh, close up the shutters so the black riders don't get in. That's right. Um, next time we'll be discussing a knife in the dark. Sounds Which scary. Is not a Brian Adams song, but it sounds like one. It does, and most likely "Flight to the Ford." As always, thank you for sticking with us on this Good Friday Eve evening. It's not Good Friday Eve. Uh, on this Good Friday <laughs> evening, Easter Saturday Eve. Easter Saturday Eve. Holy Saturday! Jesus Eve. is upset with us for making this podcast tonight. No. I was Aragorn's upset with him, aka Middle Earth Jesus. Maybe we did say he had a split personality and was like maybe a little odd, so he might be upset with us, but he could take it up with Jesus, who I assume is not upset with us for making this podcast on a Friday, on Good Friday evening. But yes, thank you all for sticking with us. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you know, we're a little, we're a little goofy, goofy in there, but hey, it's been a long week, so. And I've, Took an allergy pill and drank some booze. So Aaron doesn't know anything that he said over the last I, I don't hour know and a half. What's going on? But I'm not sneezing, and that's all that matters. Uh, thank you as always for listening. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to tell us how Aaron just disappeared, sorry. <laughs> All of a sudden, his video, he just like wasn't in his video anymore. (laughs) I don't know where he went. Um, He's back now. But anyway, if you have questions, comments, concerns, if you want to tell us how much you loved or didn't love this episode, please (laughs) email, Instagram, tweet at us, etc. We are reachable. We would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And if you have questions, please send us questions. I feel like we don't ask this enough. Mm -hmm. You know, Aaron and I ask a lot of questions of each other. Uh, but we would love to know if you have questions, what we could yeah. potentially ramble on about for you. Right. <laughs> um, and please send them in poem form. Uh, yeah, that's not negotiable. Yeah. With your rune. That's right. Runes are necessary for us to even honestly, we will throw the email out if it doesn't have a rune or two. It's the only way we know you're a sicko like us. <laughs> anyway, be Happy, be healthy, enjoy the first couple weeks of spring, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. been to tear out no absolutely not. i was once it smelled like a fart <laughs> I-
I honestly would expect nothing less.